Hello and welcome back to the Divided Opinion Podcast, episode two. As always, I'm joined by Westy. All good, mate? Very good, thank you. Good, good. Uh, we've had some technical issues today getting into the building. Um, not sure how, how much we're allowed to speak about, but apparently there's some protesters in our uni building sleeping in the rooms. Yeah, it's a strange one. Protesting against, um, against I don't know, against was it student fees or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. They've got our full support. <laughs> <laughs> You're all uh, four of them. All four of them, guys. Nice. <laughs> um, firstly, I think I can speak for both of us in saying a massive thank you for the response to the first episode. Although I also think I can speak for both of us in saying we never want to speak about the European Super League ever again. I'm looking forward to chatting about events on the field rather than off it for a change. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the results from the first legs of the Champions League semi-finals, along with some general football chat our opinions on some transfer rumours for good measure. Um, let's kick things off with the Champions League semi-finals. Uh, Tuesday we saw Real Madrid and Chelsea play out a 1-1 draw, with Chelsea taking the lead through Christian Pulisic, and then Madrid replying with a goal from Karim Benzema. What did you take from that game, West? Um, I think the I think the Chelsea, Chelsea, I think they'll be happy, really. I think they dominated most parts of the game. I think they set up perfectly, you know. I think the when Tuesday's game was a prime example of the improvement they've made under Tuchel, as opposed to what when they were under Lampard. I don't think Lampard. Well, I'm not sure they would have got that far under Lampard in the Champions League, but they just look so resolute at the back, confident. They're well compact. They they work as a group, work as a unit. They press together. Um, yeah, I think I, I do. I think they're a dark. Well, they're not really a dark horse because they're a top side. They've got great players, but. Everyone's talking about City, PSG being the favourites, and yeah. I think Chelsea could come from nowhere, and I think they could probably win the whole thing. I think because it's interesting because at the first we were we were talking about with Chelsea is in this team that you just chucked a load of talent together, a load of new players. Obviously, had Lampard that was inexperienced, and now we've got Tuchel coming in. It's gone from a team that hasn't gelled fast enough, so now I'm actually surprised at how well they've gelled. Yeah, it just shows what the difference in a manager can do having. Yeah, different managers with different um, football pedigree. Yeah, what it can do and what it can bring out of players. Yeah, I, I think it just shows the the level of Thomas Tuchel as a manager. Obviously, yeah. in Paris, didn't get the Champions League, but he's been at some big clubs, Dortmund as well. And I think throughout his whole career, he's 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 worked at the top level and he's clearly well respected. And obviously, Lampard, we, we, he could well go on to be a good manager in the future. But I think it did. Just, I think Tuchel's just showed, if anything, that Frank Lampard was probably it was a bit too soon for that job. Yeah, obviously we're going off topic slightly, but what do you think about Lampard for the under twenty one job? Obviously, Adi Boothroyd's just been sat. Yeah, I, I think it. England would, I think 21. personally, I think it would be the perfect fit. But at the same time, if you were Frank Lampard, you've just come out of a job at a top four team in in England. I can't. I'm not sure. It is his level, I'd say, but I'm not sure if in in his head he'll want to drop down to sort of like a development role. I think he'd probably rather go to a manager club, sort of like lower down the Premier League or Championship again. Um, but yeah, I think it would be a perfect fit. I think because I think the main success at his, in his time at Chelsea was his nurturing of the young players, bringing through Mount Abraham, all the other lot, and um, 
Yeah, I think he would. I think, and I think he'd be very well respected. I think that was one of the main issues of England. None of the players seemed to really play for Adi Boothroyd. But I think if you got Frank Lampard in the change room, telling yeah. you what to do, I think. Yeah, I think Adi Boothroyd spoke of it as almost a poison chalice, really, that job. In terms yeah. of you just almost are, you're bleeding players for the. Yeah. For the first team, and you constantly change your squad, etc. Anyway, let's get back to the Champions League. Perhaps talk about that topic another day, if that's what people want us to talk about. Yeah, by the way, as well, we put up on the story um, any topics you'd like us to discuss in these episodes. Just let us know, honestly, we'll talk about anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter how ridiculous they are. Um, <laughs> obviously, keep it football related if possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Madrid really struggled to put their stamp on the game, didn't they? Yeah, it was a complete contrast to what we saw against Liverpool, and it's probably a probably a great example of how the two sides are playing now. Like the twelve months ago, if you'd said that Chelsea'd be in the Champions League semi final, fighting on all fronts in Europe, Frank Lampard wouldn't be there, and Liverpool would be sixth, seventh in the league and out of the Champions League, you'd have probably just laughed it off. But um, yeah, Tuchel took Chelsea to a new level and. I think that's the way that I think the press and the uh, they, they 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 got up early as a team, took the team up the pitch, didn't leave too many gaps in in the midfield for Cruz and Modric to play. I think that was where Liverpool lost it. They gave they gave them sort of players too much time. But I think Kante, I think Kante was man of the match on Tuesday. Yeah, again. I he, think we are seeing with these. I've seen it time and time again. With the lights of the the Real Madrid's or the La Liga teams, but then they're coming over and playing these English sides. We've seen it. I think United obviously wiped the floor with so- Sociedad. Um, obviously Chelsea beating Atletico. Now they're they're drawing with Real Madrid, but I think we can both say that they probably deserve to be winning, and they will be the more confident side going into the second leg. But the 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 Spanish sides, they do seem to almost lack a bit of inten- intensity when they come over and play these English English teams yeah. in the Champions League. I don't know whether it's... That's one thing with the Premier League that I've been particularly impressed about is just the tempo, especially yeah. without fans. I mean, when I was watching the Bundesliga when that was the only league playing through lockdown, the intensity had dropped considerably. And yeah. I, I've, I've got to be honest, I weren't an avid watcher of the Bundesliga before, but... Yeah, I just... I don't know, what, what do you think that is? Is it... Is it just the Premier League's pulling away from these sides? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's too much pulling away, but I, I think it is just the, the the quality of the league itself. The players that are playing here now, obviously everyone wants to flood and come to the Premier League. Yeah, I think teams in the Premier League, obviously they're so used to week in, week out. Have, even if you're playing a, a Burnley or a Palace, you're always going to have a have a game on your hands. But in these leagues in Spain and France and Germany, there's probably six or seven teams that they'll play on in a season and go into the game knowing full well they're going to win anyway. So it yeah. sort of drops. It's a problem with PSG as well, like last last night in their game. day, When a team comes at them and they're better than them, they're, they're not used to it and they lose their heads and they can't really cope with it when they go behind. And I think that's a lot to do with it. I think it's the intensity from playing in their leagues week in, week out, and then the contrast to going and playing in Europe's elite in the, the week. These sides aren't used to going behind as well, are no, they? No, they're not, they're not used to being... Under, like, like Last night, I thought PSG were excellent in the first half and did what Man City, played Man City at their own game and probably better. But the second half, when City came out as a different side, you, you can just... 
they just don't like it in their faces, do they? Get being camped in their own half. We'll discuss that game in a sec, but obviously Timo Werner had another absolute stonewall golden opportunity. He seems to have one every game at the moment. Mm. Like while he's, I don't, I don't think you can fault his work rate, and I think he gets into the right positions, and that is the hardest part. He's doing the hard thing. But he just keeps me missing these chances. And Thomas Tuchel's come out and he's voiced his frustration. Um, with Chelsea's finishing in general. Um, but saying also that Timo Werner missing big chances does not help. This is what he said. He said that he missed a big one at West Ham. And now he's missed a big one here. That does not help. He said, but it doesn't help crying about it or regretting it all the time. He's not packing any punches. No. no I think that's always been his style of management. I think... Near the end of Lampard's tenure, he he got criticised, didn't he, for coming out and uh, throwing his players under the bus. I think when they lost to Arsenal, he basically came out and said that it wasn't anything to do with him. He he tells them how to play and they let him down. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure what point it's going to get for for Werner where Tuchel just to take him out of the firing line, put him on the bench for the rest of the season because if you've seen his treatment of Abraham. He doesn't even get in the matchday squad now. But, and but people like Werner keep getting keep getting chances. Do you not think Werner is does play well though? I I do rate the guy. I think his work rate. Yeah, I think yeah, you can't fault his he work rate. He causes problems. He does cause problems. But if you're not gonna, if you're striking, you can't finish off what you're creating or getting into your spaces. Then it's sort of a lost cause, isn't it? Really. The treatment of Abraham is interesting, isn't it? Like mm, I think it's clear to see that he's, he'll move on in the summer. He's already made his mind up. The manager there, it's just not who he. It's just not his type of player, clearly. But even Giroud, Giroud's a top player, mm. top striker. Just doesn't like. Yeah, I think I, I like Havertz as a striker. Yeah, he's more of a false nine, isn't he? Yeah, well, I he'd do. He'd like suit that. well in the Man City system, I think. Actually, playing as a false nine because obviously they didn't play with any obvious striker. And I think obviously it's hypothetical, but I think Havertz would have flourished a lot more in a team like City this season. Yeah. I do. I think he. I think he could do well up front. I think for Leverkusen, he obviously showed it as well. He's got the physique, and he. I don't know. I think he's got something about him. I think he is. He's got that kind of centre forward about him. Obviously, yeah. he can play anywhere. Have that. Yeah, you can tell he's got the movement. He's got the eye. Yeah. For a pass and gets into the spaces, but. I think I think Havertz next season is probably next season when we see the best of him. Yeah. How about Eden Hazard? Again, looks. I thought he looked off the pace. Yeah. He's never, ever, ever since he came back from that pre-season or that summer where he was just overweight when for his first pre-season with Real Madrid. I don't think I've ever seen him at the level. No, I don't think it's going to happen for him at Real Madrid, to be honest. No. I think they'll probably cut their losses in the in the summer and move him on. But it's disappointing to see, especially when, when you've got a game in the Champions League semi-final like Real Madrid-Chelsea. and it's, You'd think, oh, how amazing it's going to be, Eden Hazard one of the best players in the world against his old club. But he sort of just went under the radar. He did, obviously, he didn't start the game, but even when he just looks... He, he looks a shadow of the player he was, doesn't he, at Chelsea? Do you think it's just a case of Real Madrid thinking, we've lost the big names, just chuck a load of money and get another big name, and we need another Galactico? Yeah, uh, I think the, I think he probably did make the move maybe two or three years too late. Yeah. I think he was 28 when he signed, and oh, he's getting on to 30 now. And Some players just get... Some players can play through their early thirties to the same standard. Like obviously Ronaldo and Messi are just just complete freaks, aren't they? But yeah, it, yeah, it's 
he looks like the injuries, they will catch you up eventually. And he's played a lot of football since probably the age of 16, 17 at the top level. And it does look like he's just burnt out of it a bit yeah, too yeah. early. 100%. I do. I think there's a way back, though, for Hazard. The talent is obviously there. It's just whether he can get that yard of pace back. I haven't seen Hazard and watched him and think, wow. And he, yeah. I don't know, he seems to have just lost that agility as well. Yeah. It made him so hard to deal with. Yeah, I think that comes with confidence, though, as well, because if you pick up so many injuries, I think I remember Mark Lowen talking about it, and he was saying once he did his hamstring injury, his first one when he was absolutely electric he says you never ever have that confidence to fully let it go and Hazard will be playing with it in his head thinking if he puts in that 100% sprint or or the turns he used, we used to see him doing he, in the back of his head it'll always be something's going to go something's going to go and that will just restrict to what you can do yeah no, 100% a guy that plays on the edge like that yeah he needs yeah definitely yeah. should we talk about PSG, Man City, obviously two one to Man City, yeah. away at the Parc de Prince. Yeah, a massive result for them. And like you were saying earlier, PSG started off strong, and they seem to pen Man City in. I know you just, I never see you never see teams do that to City. I think it was the first time this this season. Obviously, you you like yeah. to think that Man United did it, but to that scale, yeah, PSG were. Man City were parking the bus. Man City were chasing shadows in the first that? half. Yeah, yeah, and the, I think they were restri- Yeah, they had literally nothing in the first half. City didn't they? And I, I did. I thought PSG were going to carry that through for the rest of the game at half time. Thought maybe second legs where City can get them. I thought that I thought that game was almost that was the tail going to be the whole tail of the game. But Guardiola's obviously got into them at half time, and it just shows his, his, how good he is as a manager. He's obviously. His, that 10-15 minutes at half time he's just completely transformed the mindset mm-hmm. of the game and they came out and absolutely stuck it to PSG PSG couldn't couldn't handle them it seemed quite simple though at the same time it was managerial genius but at the same time we I think a lot of, a lot of us could see that the, these fullbacks were just sitting in too deep yeah. and that was just allowing normally obviously the likes of Walker and Cancelo are given a free roam to go wherever they want but whatever, I don't know, maybe I think, well, obviously he was thinking let's counteract the Mbappe and Neymar threat. But in the end, I think to deal with a Neymar and Mbappe, the best thing you can do is push up, force them, if they want to do any defensive work, force them to do it. Yeah. You saw Neymar having to come back, slide tackles, last minute tackles, etc. I think that is the way you deal with Mbappe and Neymar. Is you just try yeah. almost try and neutralise their attack completely, rather than trying to man mark them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, obviously, you always got the risk of pushing up too high and leaving the space in behind for Mbappe to run into. But um, yeah, if you if you can suffocate them, them sort of players Neymar and get two, three bodies around them every time they get the ball, it's definitely the way. Um, you've got to handle them because if you give them too much space, I think you saw in the first half Neymar was just. He was toying with the city defence in the midfield, and obviously they've he's looked at that in the first half and thought if that carries on, then it's gonna this game could get away from us. Another player I was, in, I was constantly impressed by is Riyad Mahrez, just performing at the top top level, yeah, and consistently. We haven't seen that consistency for City. No, no, yeah, I think he's took his game to a new level this season, hasn't he? He has. Yeah, I think it was, obviously it was lucky the free kick 
but just in general, his game is just, he's just so sharp. And his, his first touch, I just don't, I honestly don't think there's a player with a better first touch in football. No, I think it's probably a... We tiring you, mate. No, we're, sorry. We're boring you. No, bit of a late one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's um, he just causes issues for anyone, doesn't he? Yeah. That that sort of doesn't matter who you put out there. Like you say, like Luke Shaw's been probably been the best fullback in Europe this season. I remember when United played him, even though United came out on top, Mares was just causing him issues all day. And he, he someone when someone's so good on both feet and got that such low, low center of gravity so hard to deal with because if you, you think he's going to go inside all the time but now he even throws in goes on the outside gets balls across the box or if he comes inside it's almost game over isn't it if he hits on that left foot the red card can't have any arguments for, with no. that can he game. No, I think I think the PSG players knew straight away didn't they no one really argued Pochettino knew yeah it was that was just they'd completely lost red by that point yeah yeah well, yeah look this losing the red thing what is it you, you see these sides. I mean, Spurs come to mind. PSG as well. They just it doesn't seem to on the the final stage. Never seem to come to fruition where it really matters. Yeah. Because these sides like the PSG, there's they are judged on the Champions League. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And it's the same with Pep now. It's this. We can all talk about Pep's genius, but until he wins, he's got to win another another Champions League. So I don't care what you say about how competitive the Premier League is. With the, the congestion of fixtures this season, in my opinion, City were always going to come out on top. Just purely through depth, mm-hmm. being able to rest players. So they have to be judged on the Champions League. The The league for City is not enough this season. Obviously, they've won the Carabao Cup. And if they win the Carabao Cup and Premier League, you can't really argue. But I think deep down, if you're a City fan, yeah. if you're Pep Guardiola... You realise that if he really wants to solidify his statement status as a god tier manager, hmm. that Champions League needs to be won again. He's yeah. definitely got a chance. Yeah, I think I think he knows as well. His, his job won't be done, and he won't leave. He can't leave Manchester without that Champions League because that is what they brought him in to do. Because they were winning Premier Leagues with Pellegrini and Mancini before he came in, and Carabao Cups and FA Cups. So yeah, he's definitely. Oh, but I, I do think this is apart from last season where City weren't great, but they got knocked out by Leon. And the standard after the lockdown wasn't the best, was it? Even the Champions League in the final, we saw PSG by and they just shut each other out. I think last season was probably their best chance to do it. But I think after last night's result, I don't think they'll ever get a better chance, to be honest. Yeah. Because I think other teams will come back stronger next season, even teams like Liverpool, when they've got all the Van Dyke Gomez back. I'm sure they'll make a couple of signings, but. I think now it's almost now or never really for Guardiola. Yeah, I think once the, the yeah the fans will be huge as well. Fans coming back in stadiums. Um, and I I'm not sure what the fixtures are looking like next season. Whether they're going to be similar kind of three games in a week. No, yeah. But I think if the fixtures begin to lessen a little bit, I think you'll see the other teams improving. Where you got more time to rest. But then again, these players are all going off to play Euros in the summer. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you can you can definitely see City making a couple of signs themselves as well. Yeah, um, they obviously they play really well without the striker. Play that false nine, De Bruyne or Sterling. But I think it could, obviously Harlem would take any team to a new level. But 
that's the one that you can picture, can't you, the most? I think there was an example yesterday where Walker ran about 60 yards at the pitch and then crossed it in into a good position. And there was no one there. Well, he, I think De Bruyne was coming in, but he was a couple yards off of it. Yeah. I think that is where it does show about that not having number nine, what it can do. And it is so important. I think play, managers and the way managers like Pep Guardiola play, they, um, they've they almost kind of lessened the importance of a number nine. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it just... It, if anything, it just shows the genius of Guardiola. They're all in the build-up play, aren't they? Yeah, they can f- they can fight on all all fronts for all season long, winning different titles, different competitions, and barely ever have a strike on the pitch. But like you say, with the, the strength and depth, they were always going to be there or thereabouts. When you've got Jesus and Aguero just not even coming on, they're not even coming onto the pitch half the time anymore, are they? Aguero and Jesus don't even make City's best team. Yeah, Probably. they can't even get on the pitch. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I. How is that possible? No. It's just, it's mental, isn't it? How we've ended up in this position where City are just... We do, we do yeah, as a Premier League advocate, we we always kind of talk about these other leagues for not having much competition, etc. But really, is is the Premier League any different to like the Bundesliga? City are always going to win this title. They're always going to win it. Yeah, so, but then again, if you'd said it, that, no, but if you'd said it at the start of the season, you'd never City wouldn't have been my favourites. You'd have everyone. I think ninety percent of people would have just backed Liverpool again because of how how good they were the last two years. But Van injuries changed. Yeah, I think if Van Dijk hadn't got injured, you'd see Liverpool there or thereabouts. But then again, they haven't got the depth to deal with no. this. And they have, and they can't blame it all on defence, can they? They've problems that they've had this season. People like Mane being off form. I think Salah's been still almost his normal self, but the rest of the team haven't stepped up, have they? And that's a mark. That's a mark for a top team. You've got to step up when other players are injured and problems come, come, come up. Yeah, yeah. No, I think in the, those kind of periods where you realise how important the squad players are and how important it is that the squad players rise to the occasion. Yeah. Yeah, it's all part of man management as well with with these squad players, and I think that's what Guardiola is so good at. You've got to have you've got to have these squad players that will be happy to sit on the bench for large parts of the season, but then when they get bought in, and they are needed, they they play to they match the level that the first eleven is playing at. Yeah. I think that's that's a lot a lot of the issues with other clubs, like in the past. I think especially United have had a lot of players that have not played a lot of football, but then when they have came in, they've the level's not there, the intensity's not there, but Guardiola just seems to have all the players playing off the same note, doesn't he? It's that man management, isn't it? It is, yeah. Keeping everyone happy. He, yeah, he's he's a, he's a master at it, isn't he? Everywhere he's been to, he's had his whole squad just happy to do their bit when they're needed. Like you have people like Bernardo Silva last season, didn't play a lot of football. A lot of people thought he may, might move on in the summer. This season, start of this season, he didn't play a lot of football. Like Cancelo as well, he's another great example of it. Last season, he barely got a sniff, but he just nurtures him in the background and he gets them ready for what he'll tell them, what well, this is your time. And when your time comes, I want you to be ready. And he's perfect at just getting players all. And he's all... not scared to drop the big players, is he? No. You sure. see Raheem Sterling on the bench, even Sergio Aguero on a bench yesterday. I think that that is a huge part of being a manager, is have, yeah. not being afraid to 
when you've got the media pressure pressuring you and the likes of Phil Foden for years we've been saying oh he's got to play more football we've got to play more football and Pep yeah. quietly knew in the background what yeah. he was doing and now you see him Phil Foden starting in the semi-final yeah Mares Foden and and Bernardo Silva all of them haven't been consistent starters for City over the last no, three four years yeah, yeah. but the likes of start, he, he he just he seems unbelievably adept to and that um adapting his tactics at Guardiola. Yeah. He's never got the the set team, has he? I mean no. yesterday I think we saw I mean it's quite hard to work out where they're playing, if there is a real formation. But I think they were set up with Menaby almost Bernardo Silva in behind yeah, Maris and De Bruyne. Yeah, but then, yeah, but you saw. Oh no, Mar- maybe. But you know. d- yeah, but you, you look throughout the game and you see Foden, don't you? Yeah. Just loitering around the striker position. And then next minute, you know, he's sat in holding midfield, play, springing balls out. Uh, yeah, he just what he he just works in triangles, doesn't he? Like gets plays. It's like there's loads of different different little triangles plotted all over the pitch. And every yeah. time, every way you see City on the ball or off the ball, they've always got that that triangle of players either around the opposition player or when they're on the ball, every player's always got three, four options where they can pass the ball. And you have to have that ability to be a 360 player as well. Yeah. Being able to see the game around you and be able to pick passes with your left and right foot. You even see it with like a Zinchenko at left back. I'm still very impressed with just his awareness on the ball. Yeah, how good yeah, how good they are on the ball as well. The decision making. They don't yeah. they don't seem to make the wrong decision. Yes, they were. They were. They were unbelievable, Man City, in that second half, and it makes it even more impressive how bad they—not how bad they were, but how good PSG were in the first yeah. half. It was a total game of two hours, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's actually, it was incredible. Really, it was, it was a great game to watch. Yeah, it was. Obviously, we've got uh, both English sides will be the happiest. City will be the happiest, but the, both sides are wide open. And when you got t- sides like Real Madrid and PSG, with the talent they've got. Yeah, maybe not the talent with Madrid, but more the acumen they have, the Champions League experience. Yeah, you can it, never count these sides out, can you? No, yeah, I still think the chat. I think the, I think the Chelsea Real Madrid one's still probably a little bit more open, just because obviously it's only a one goal deficit. It's going to be tough for PSG to go to the Etihad and score two goals or more, but without reply as well. But I, I, I still see it. I, I still see it being an all English final. Who do you think are going to win it? Uh, I, well, after last night, I don't. As much as it pains me to say, I don't think you can look past City. I think they, I think they just look like for any team that they're just too strong at the moment. But then again, you saw a couple of weeks ago, if you put them in the in a final, a one-off game against Chelsea, two calls, that Chelsea team are more than capable of beating anyone on their day. They're just set up so well defensively, aren't they? Yeah, they're just so. They just so, they work so well as a unit, and it's just such a stark contrast to what we saw under Lampard. It was so like ungelled, sort of mismatch, like the different random bits of a puzzle being put together with Lampard, just trying to get all his best players on the pitch working in the same on the same wavelength. But Tuchel's got it down to a T. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way Tuchel goes around it as well, because you see a lot of nowadays the managers that tend to tend to succeed are the ones that really shelter their players mm-hmm. protect them from the media keep it internal any kind of negativity any criticism keep it internal keep it in the dressing room don't let it get out 
But Tuchel very much comes out. We see him with Werner this week. He calls his players out. Yeah. He demands more. Yeah. And he seems to do it in a way that works. Because we see now the likes of Mourinho that like to do that. That old-fashioned kind of manager. Yeah. Of demanding something of your players. Doesn't seem to work nowadays. No, you, yeah, you've got to have the balance. I think people, someone like Mourinho, I think it's not hard to imagine that he gives, he gives them, he throws his plays under the bus in the media. But I think with a lot of managers, probably too cool. I think Ferguson was really good at it. He'd, some, he'd sometimes certain say, call someone out. But you can imagine in the background, he'd be putting his arm around them and saying, "Look, that's just give you a bit of a kick up your ass." But I think with Mourinho, it'd, be, it'd just be a nightmare. I think he'd throw you under the bus and then probably wouldn't talk to you for a week. <laughs> yeah, and he's all just, he's so cryptic as well with Mourinho. Yeah, it's you all, it's all about You Mourinho. can walk in and you don't really know what you've done to him, but he like, won't be speaking to you or something. Yeah, it, it, he's, he's, just, he's a strange character. Obviously, he's a, he has been one of the best managers of all time, you'd have, definitely have to say, but I think his... Yeah, I think his ways of going about it and dealing with players personally it's just probably a bit outdated now. I don't think the modern day the modern day footballer compared to when he came into England fifteen, twenty years ago. So they're so much different. I think a lot of them do need almost like mummied yeah, mummyhood all the bit. Don't they? Yeah, they do. And they're just at the end of the day they've got more power nowadays, the players. They're the ones that the club needs to keep happy. Yeah. The, the power of agents, etc. And managers they don't hold that much. Obviously, they're on huge contracts or whatever, and there's, there's still money involved. But they don't hold as many cards as the players. No, yeah, they're, they're not. It's, they're not a brand either, are they? No. These players, it's sort of United. If it was always going to be United. It's going to be one Pogba or when they fell out, it's going to be Pogba or Mourinho. One of them's going to go. One of them has to go to make it work. And United were never going to get rid of a ninety million pound player who was, but still is. But at that time, he was the centerpiece of their squad. No matter, regardless of if he's played to his potential at well, United pe- or not. People aren't buying Mourinho six shirts, are they? They're uh, buying Pogba shirts. I think shirts. a lot of people, are, yeah, and people are just a lot of people are just tired of Mourinho now. And he probably, we probably won't see him in England again. I think it has come. That's come to a bit of the end of the road in the Premier League. I'm not sure who would take him now. To be honest, I like Mourinho. <laughs> I do like him as a bloke. I like him. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's obviously yeah. He doesn't put up with all the nonsense and you can see that he understands yeah, that he he's just, a football man in it. Yeah, and you can see just he understands all the commotion around football and all the politics yeah. around it. So you can you know that Mourinho's heart is in the right place. We're talking about the European Super League, something like that. You you can know that Mourinho would have had something to say yeah, about that. And, and he would have yeah. been aligned with the supporters. Yeah, 100%. You see him do all these adverts. Doesn't and care stuff. anymore. Yeah. You, what manager do you see doing that? Paddy Power adverts. Yeah. What is that about? Yeah. It, it, what it, does that tell your players? He has, I think he has lost a lot of credibility over the last few years. I think, obviously, he still did. A, he, he well, he was the last manager to win Man United any trophies, so no Man United fan can give him too much stick because no one else has done that before or after since him. But um, yeah, the the adverts and stuff that sort of it's almost like he's. Over the years, he's now sort of played up to his own. You could almost call him like a meme, couldn't you? He sort of plays up to it, and he's he has slight. He's been slightly trying to keep himself relevant by being this coming back out with this old Mourinho persona of just being. How do you describe Jesse lo- Mourinho? <laughs> just does not care. Doesn't he's gonna care. do Mar- it's Mourinho his way the or the highway. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it, but fair play to him, you know. 
he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's always stuck to the same principles, hasn't he? It's another case as well, though. With the media, I don't I don't think he hates the media. And I think <laughs> it's just almost, he is just like you said, it's playing up to this big facade that he's built up, this image that he's built up. I think he loves it. Yeah. I think he loves it. I think his ego loves it. Yeah, and I think that is one of the one of the bits of genius about him. Is it what has always been his ability to uh, sort of take the if his team ever has had a bad game or they've lost, he's always been so good at taking the attention away from the team and his own in-game management or how he set a team up to play by make creating a story after a game. So obviously with the United one with the out of nothing, he just absolutely lost his head over the the Kyung Min Son comment by Solskjaer, which was yeah. literally, it was a tongue-in-cheek comment. Solskjaer, you know what Solskjaer's like, he wouldn't have, just a bit of a cheeky comment, and Mourinho just saw that as, a, he would have thought that's a perfect opportunity to just take the attention away from the fact that we've just been stuffed 3-1. <laughs> that was so strange, that. I think that was the big, that was, well, not the beginning of the end, I think it started from a few months ago at Tottenham, but I think that was just it. Where I think Daniel Levy probably looked at that and thought, you know what, I just did he actually think Solskjaer was being serious or even if he was being serious I mean like Mourinho blatantly wasn't being serious Mourinho's hardly hardly been one to like pull any punches has he over his career (laughs) comments on other managers or comments on his own players so he can't really be yeah it's it's, just it was just a really strange one this period of time has just kind of thrown up some of the weirdest things in football just this weird period we're going through yeah well it's because everything's so magnified because yeah. of because of no fans being in the stadium everyone's sat at home watching everything on telly watch it's when you go to a game as much as it is the best thing in the world going to a football match and you're there in the flesh seeing your team it isn't you don't pick up as many things do you and now you, it's yeah i think it's almost i think covid's almost sent everyone a bit mental and <laughs> yeah I think, yeah, I think it's just, like you said, it's just... It's just turned into a mental game. So we saw recently, this week, announced two days ago, um, the Red Bull Leipzig coach, Julian Nagelsmann, mm-hmm. is to become Bayern Munich boss at the yeah. end of the season. Now, last week, we were talking very highly of the Bundesliga. Um, kind of talking it of it as we need to adopt what they do and their system... Mm-hmm. Is this not like? Is this not contradictory? Is this not hypocritical? It's just. I, I think it just shows that the Bundesliga isn't run as well as we all like to think it is. It's well, a, I suppose they're keeping their talents in the country, which is a good thing for them. But where's the competition? Well, no, I suppose. Well, there's never going to be competition. There's, no matter how you look at it, whether you want the Bundesliga to be, I don't think it's even anything to do with the, the fifty plus one fan ownership. I think. If you've got a team like Bayern Munich with the money they've got and the the attraction, the size of the club, the titles they've got, the history they've got behind them, there is never ever going to be this competitive league where you see three or four teams going for it because you just can't compete. It's just it it, it is just natural. Like, but so their system doesn't work, does it? Yeah, no, but it does. It it works when it's. I'm sure. Fans in Germany, though, you've got to understand, fans in Germany will accept this. That other, All the teams of the other teams will uh, know. They accept that Bayern are the best and they will win it all. But if, they're, if their structure and their leagues run in, the, in a way that keeps them happy, they obviously love it over there, the fans. But like, we're debating, aren't we, how football should be run? 
And surely from a spectator's point of view, having, let's just say in the Premier League, this is how it works in the Premier League. So you've got Man City, we'll say the Bayern, and they just went and bought Harry Kane, Bruno Fernandes, Mo Salah. Because that is what they're doing. Yeah, they buy yeah, every doing. single player. It's just, where's the rivalry? You don't see that in yeah. the Premier League, they do, do you? They, yeah, they do. But then again, you've also got to be careful of of like saying almost acting like Premier League teams haven't done that in the past. Obviously, United used that model of Bayern Munich throughout the throughout their years of winning everything. You think about they they took Berbatov from Tottenham, Tevez, Alan Smith. They used to cherry pick all the players from the lower clubs. We're going quite far back though now. Yeah, yeah, but it's just a sort of it's a comparison for. How we can't really speak too much of it because obviously United aren't the same as they aren't the same stature of what they were back then in terms of winning stuff. But it's just I think it is just a natural part of the game. I think the ownership's a different side to it. I think the fifty plus one, if it got bought in in the Premier League, it still wouldn't eradicate the top te- the top teams dominating by buying all the players or winning trophies. It wouldn't balance it out with that, by that. I think it would just. It's just going to give the fans a bit more of a of a say in what the clubs do. I just don't. I I just don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. Like the way Bayern just buy the whole league. I think it's just, well, I don't, not that I don't agree with it because there's a lot of things that I don't agree with in football. But it seems ridiculous for us to idolise the the way they run their game when their league is just absolutely defunct. Like it's just ridiculous. Just the poaching of. We can we can draw comparisons in the Premier League, but there's never been a team yeah. that have just bought all from one team. Look at Lewandowski. You've seen the likes of Mario Goetze. Uh Hummels. Yeah, like Well they've well they've got Upper Meccano coming in the summer as well as Nagelsmann. It wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if they sign Haaland with it. No. I'm not sure they've got the finances to pull off a move like that at the moment, but or if they really would sign someone when they've got Lewandowski. Yeah, um, I don't, it's obviously it's a bit off topic, but I'm not sure. I think Haaland probably looking to move to a different league. Yeah. So we saw this week UEFA have increased the size of squads for this summer's Euros from 23 to 26 man squads. Mm-hmm. Um, England manager Gareth Southgate actually doesn't believe an increase is necessary, although it may help his um, selection headache. Southgate is concerned... Bigger squads could be much harder to manage. However, matchday squads, are, they're still limited to 23, the matchday squads. So three players will miss out each game. But it gives a number of players who are at risk of missing out an opportunity. Yeah. What do you think? Well, um, I think it's a good thing. Oh, I think it'd definitely be good for Southgate. No, it depends how you look at it, really. Southgate could be thinking at the same time, if it's a 26-man squad, it it puts obviously it makes it easier in the short term to pick the squad, but then in when the squad's been submitted and you're in the tournament, you might be thinking it, it probably make it even harder knowing that he's got another three players to worry about and please because you've got to keep a camp happy in a tournament like that. Everyone's get together for four or five weeks at a time, every minute of the day living with each other, and then yeah, three more players. I mean, he's doesn't sound much free players but it's another free people to keep happy and it might just he'll probably just think it might be easier if you just give him the the tough news at the start of it and say sorry you're not going to be picked and then you can sort of focus on that core group of players that he really wants who would be free players that you'd add to the England squad 
Um, Actually, to be fair, we could could do an episode later down the line dedicated to this, couldn't we? Picking our England squads. Yeah, I think yeah, near the time, sort of probably near. Yeah, we'll do one when it when we're near, coming up to the selection yeah. process. But I think the first players that come to mind though are the Jude Bellingham's. Obviously, yeah. this attacking midfield um, yeah. competition. Yeah, it would be Grealish's, etc. Yeah, it would be nice to be able to have the luxury of picking all of them, sort of Grealish, Foden, Sancho. I'd still like to see Sancho. I think obviously he's a top player. I think he ma- he makes my twenty-three man squad. I think yeah, he definitely make my twenty-three anyway. I think especially to have someone like him coming off the bench. It's like what a talent to have off the bench. I don't think. Well, I think as England fans, because we're all so caught up in the Harry Kanes and the Grealishes and the Fodens and Rashford, you do just forget that you have got like this absolute gem in Jane Sancho just sitting there on the bench and sometimes not even making the squad. He'd uh, he'd start for most most other countries in the world, wouldn't he? If Sterling ain't getting in the City squad before the end of the season, he doesn't start yeah. for me at either Euros. No, I don't think. Yeah, you've got to start people on. Confidence and performance, haven't you? Surely Foden starts. Yeah, yeah. Well, who would you? Who would so hypothetically would be your front three that you'd start with, providing Sterling doesn't get a look in for the rest of the season? Obviously, Kane up front. I don't think you can argue with Kane. I think if you've got a fully fit Marcus Rashford, it's hard to look look past that. For balance wise, I think you'd struggle to find a better balance front three than Rashford. Foden on the right and Kane down the middle. Yeah. Provides everything. You've got pace, you've got trickery, you've got just pure finishing ability. Obviously, Harry Kane speaks for himself, the reason why he should be um, selected. Don't think you'd find an England fan that would argue that Harry Kane shouldn't be starting. No, yes. I I think you'll see Sterling starting. I really do. I I can't see Southgate ever dropping Sterling. Yeah. At this current point, yeah, I think you. I think the most likely to see is Kane, Sterling, and Rashford, isn't it? I think Southgate's always been one of them players. He won't veer too far away from what he's comfortable with, and he's not going to. Exp- then again, yeah, I, I do sort of see it, look at it through his eyes as well. You, as much as Sterling might not get a look in for the rest of the season, too much at City, you've. You sort of can't retake too many chances, can you, in tournament football? Do you think we're seeing a new breed of managers that are scared of taking risks in order to just keep themselves in the job? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think, think they've I always been Sol- around. There's a lot of parallels between Solskjaer and, and Southgate in terms of just playing the players they trust. You see it with Solskjaer with this... This um, Muck Fred, <laughs> exactly the the um, necessity to play Fred and McTominay every week, yeah, to protect his back four, and just play. He plays the players that he yeah. trusts. Yeah, I think yeah, there is there is definitely parallels, but I also think at the same time, Southgate's a lot more guilty because he has got the he he has got the players to hand to play a different way and a more expansive way. He can play that hot. He can play Declan Rice or Henson as that one holding midfielder, but he doesn't. He plays both of them. You can also you can almost understand Solskjaer. He's not been given exactly what he wants, so he thinks yeah, probably the best way to protect both the team out on the pitch and myself is playing two holding midfielders to protect that back four. Surely, if a manager's protecting themselves, 
well, in order to protect themselves, they're perhaps not picking the side that they think on their day could could get the best outcome. Just kind of, I just think it's almost criminal. Mm. Go out there and play the team that you genuinely believe are going to win you a game of football. Yeah, but I've, at the Protecting same time, your job. It's just at the same time as a United fan, I've got to admit, I just, our best team is with. We've played our, we've won our b- biggest games and beat the best teams with McTominay and Fred playing. It just doesn't seem the balance isn't there when you ha- when you play one of them with Pogba and Fernandez. Pogba isn't defensive enough. Fernandez obviously is not really going to be doing too much defensively. And as much as it's it is a bit annoying because it would be great to have someone like Ndidi or Declan Rice who could just run about and do that job for us. We don't have that, so you just have to deal with what you've got. Uh, in front of you, don't you? You've got a work of the players. I think it's ridiculous to to say that Solskjaer hasn't got a good squad, though. Oh yeah, he's got. A, he's he's got still a, got a great squad, and I just think he could experiment a bit more. Donny Van der Beek is a player that could play anywhere in the midfield. Yeah, anywhere. He played as a six a lot for the Ajax, holding midfield. Why did you? Just and he give is him great. He is re- actually really good defensively. Yeah, he's got a good footballing. Yeah, brain. gets in stuck in. He's good. He's disciplined he as people. well. He's got fitness. He's got legs. Yeah, I think yeah, it's definitely it, that's one one criticism of Solskjaer. I think obviously it's, he'll see more than those. He sees players on the trading pitch every day, but that the, the Van der Beek one is just it's just baffling. I think. Yeah, and yeah. I, I feel sorry for him. Really do. Yeah, it is a real, real strange one. It just it almost seems as if Solskjaer didn't really want him. Yeah, there's no way. Like a sign. But then again, he he does strike you as Sol, a Solskjaer type of player, and but. It, it clearly, it was clearly a bit of a panic buy. Is it that thing that we were talking about risking it? Solskjaer obviously likes players that are gonna, they have a purpose. They're on the pitch. They're fit for purpose. Yeah. They're told to do a job. Whether it's to man mark someone, protect a player, and they'll follow exactly what. Yeah. Rather than Donny Van der Beek, he is that kind of player where you kind of, you don't really know where he's, gonna he's got be. a load of positives and a load of things he's good at, but. You don't really know what it turns to a real job for him to do. There isn't mm. really. He's kind of just on the pitch to influence the game. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit more off the cuff, isn't he? Yeah. Floats about a bit more. I think Solskjaer likes players a bit more rigid. He knows that Fred and McTominay are always going to be sat in that sort of that gap between the defence and the halfway line. You see, though, how how when a player like like a Jorginho or someone that doesn't, it's not particularly athletic. It's not, not going to run all day. It's not going to man mark players for you, but you see the how important and, and if a player with a unbelievable footballing brain, if they can be used right, yeah, they can influence the game unbelievably. And I think that is what Van der Beek has got. That could be you know, his footballing Van der Beek, yeah. brain. Yeah, you don't always need these players. You don't need a big bulldozing six foot five cent- central midfielder to run around cropping people and breaking play up. You've Look at some of the best teams that have been around in the recent years. Bayern last year, treble winners. Thiago's hardly he's not he's not got the physique for it, is he? He's small, he's he's weak, he's not great defensively. You've seen he's, he's absolutely he's a car crash defensively for Liverpool. But if you play right and if the man can get a right system going and plays that can protect, come around and protect him, drop back in, it can work. But obviously I don't think Solskjaer's found that out yet with United. I don't think he's really he's not He's definitely not got the team out there that he wants. It seems almost like it could be a protest as well. This thing, I've not been backed. You've given me Donny van der Beek. I didn't want Donny van der Beek, so I'm not going to play him. Yeah, it could be that. And each, look, you've wasted 40 million of your money. 
Yeah, but then again, you 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 can't. You just have to give it more than a season. You've got to look at and think. He in the background, he could. He seems pretty happy, Van der Beek. He could just be nurturing him, and obviously, it happens a lot with United. People like as soon as a player signs and don't get a lot of football, people are quick to say criticize the manager. But it, it could have the same effect as Cancelo last season. Barely get a look in, and then. Cancelo is now arguably is the best fullback in the Premier League. Well, I was going to say we give Pep Guardiola benefit of the doubt. Yeah, probably give... for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> he has got the silverware yeah, to back it up. Yeah, given his resume, but maybe maybe with Solskjaer we do. I do think yeah. that is the thing with Solskjaer. Do you yeah. need, United need to back him? There's a good chance that Van der Beek could you could see him starting week and week out next season for United. You can't really but I just hold. Don't know where. You can't really hold Oli accountable and argue with his results this season. Mm. When you look at the backing he's had, no, and I do think I, I think a lot of it the Van der Beek signing. I think it will, I think it all did come down to him signing on the proviso that Pogba was going to leave, yeah, either last summer and he, there's a good chance he will leave this summer. So obviously, he's not 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 sure if he's going to sign a new contract, but I think it it'll almost it it could just work out well and be if Pogba leaves this summer. It could be a long term replacement for Pogba. Um, so we saw obviously going back to Mourinho. Sacking. We've obviously seen the rumour mill hmm. been circulating about possible um, replacements. And obviously, my guy, Brendan Rodgers, has been thrown into the hat, unsurprisingly. But he's come out and said that he's happy with the Foxes and wants to continue his work at the club. It's the right decision. I don't think anyone will. Although I do think Brendan Rodgers would do a very good job there. Yeah, he would do a good job. And obviously... There's always is the attraction of living in London and stuff, but yeah, you'd, uh, even as a player at Leicester now, I think it'd be would be a ridiculous decision just to leave anywhere. I think it's just it's credit to how the clubs run really at Leicester because I think even as a Leicester, obviously you as a Leicester fan or any other Leicester fan, obviously you wouldn't want any of these players to leave, and obviously you want your team to build on what you've got, but. The reality is that probably in the next two or three years, a couple of them will leave. I think we all know that. But Leicester, obviously, you'd have no, you, you won't be bothered because Leicester is so good at replacing them with someone who's so much cheaper. And they've got this security now, Leicester, of they know that their their team's probably worth close to what 250, 300 million. All together, the plays for Farner. If you want to sign him, you're looking at probably 80, 90 million onwards. Fafana's the only one that worries me in terms of leaving. I think yeah, moment. I think he could be the one that would be the quickest in and out at Leicester. I don't, but I don't, I can't see any of the other ones wanting to leave at the moment. No, at this current time. Yeah, they all, that, that's it yeah. seems settled. Yeah, it seems like a good, great club to be at. Yeah, just like a proper family club. It's just I think that it's that's it's such a difference to some of the big clubs as well. I think at Leicester, obviously through no fault of their own, obviously there's a lot less pressure. But that almost that is such a good thing for a player, especially a young player like Madison or Fafana. They can go out there and express themselves and play to their best football without the pressures of knowing that loads of people around the world are waiting for them to fail. And also for for their careers as well, Leicester are just they have became become this club that it's almost like everyone's second team. You know, everyone even in the world sporting like Real Madrid, Barcelona, everyone loves Leicester now, and there's this team that everyone wants to do well. And they they buy all these these players for cheap, and then they just develop them through. Like Leicester must have some of the best coaching 
coaching staff in the world of football. Yeah. 100%. How they develop their players. So, so going back to the Brendan Rodgers issue in terms of if, whether he'd want to go back, uh, go to Spurs. Why on earth? Yeah. Like you said, with the, the players he's got at his disposal, he's got the new training ground. And also, the most important thing is he's got owners that support him. Mm-hmm. He knows that he'll get backed. He knows he'll get sensibly black backed as well. Yeah. They're not going to just chuck a load of money at nah. one player. There's obviously... I mean, whoever the Leicester scouts are as well. Yeah. They need a, they need a rise. need a statue. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they honestly do. You can always, you could always say with Leicester in argument in the last few years, you could, make, you could always say, like, they're a great club, but yeah, you could always go and move on to Champions League football. But Leicester are, barring a massive terrible collapse will be playing Champions League next season and with that that'll bring in obviously more income and play so many more players will now be attracted to Leicester all he's doing as well Brendan Rodgers and he's obviously got time on his side he's a young manager a relatively young manager and all he's doing at the moment is just building up that resume mm-hmm. he's building a legacy regardless of our and Leicester's past achievements this is a Brendan Rodgers squad yeah He's built these players up. And I was talking earlier about squad players performing. That's one thing that Brendan Rodgers has got down to a T. Mm-hmm. Players, the, the likes of even a Mendy. You've seen James Justin coming through. Amarty. Albrighton. Albrighton. Pratt. This, this Ian Acho. Ian Acho's been a squad player for the last... Five years. Four years. Or four years. Yeah. And no manager really has managed to get anything no. out of him on a consistent basis. And he's now the best striker in the Premier League at the moment, yeah. I'd say. On, on form, definitely. Yeah, yeah, on form. What Brendan Rodgers is building at Leicester is far bigger than this big club narrative that the media try and push, that these clubs trying to push. The clubs like Spurs and Arsenal are trying to keep this. This thing we've got in our head of these being the big clubs and seeing them as big clubs, they're just trying to keep that. That's mm. all they've got. That's yeah. all they've got. Spurs on a... I might cause a bit of controversy, but Leicester are a bigger club, in my opinion, than Spurs. <laughs> and I know I will... If the Spurs fans listening, might might anger you, shall I say. But I, I believe it. I completely believe it. And I've got complete confidence that Brendan Rodgers will be at Leicester... For at least five years, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's got a well, he's got a chance, hasn't he? Now, well, he's already built a legacy at Leicester, but he's especially if they went on and won the cup this season as well. Can you imagine that? Finish third or second was... place in the Premier League, win the FA Cup, Champions League football to look forward to. Fans back in the ground must be such a good feeling in and around the place at Leicester. You must you must look forward to work every day yeah. if you're working, especially with if you're going to that training ground. Yeah, even if it's you're like a groundsman. Multi-million pound spa, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Should we finish on a few transfer rumours and we'll see what you think? Yeah. We've seen it again. Manchester United still want to sign right winger this a right winger this summer with England and Borussia Dortmund's Jadon Sancho remaining their number one target. Are you getting flashbacks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, t- I t- I'll tell myself that I won't get roped into it, but no doubt I'll be a... Uh, Replied to Man United's tweet saying announce Sancho <laughs> come the end of July and uh, for us to inevitably go and sign Albrighton on a six month loan deal. You can't have him, mate. Yeah, uh, he's too valuable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get, I, I don't want to get too, uh, but I do think there's there's a lot more chance of happening this summer. 
especially Dortmund don't look like they're going to get Champions League anyway. They're going to have to get rid of one or probably both both of their star players. But since Greenwood sort of upped his game and sort of he, I do like if Greenwood isn't a right winger, but he is at the same time. Like he still he is still pretty lethal off that right wing coming in off that. So I don't think, and it's just not a position that United need to be prioritising. Do you not think the risks with with Greenwood, you risk kind of spoiling him a bit, point playing him out on the right wing? Yeah, I do, but he could almost just make that position his own. Like, there's probably not many better players in the Premier League. He's sort of, he is a bit like Mares when the, the, you don't know where he's going to go, inside or out, and he's got, he, I think he's actually a lot quite like Mares coming off that left wing. Obviously, he's not, from, he's not technically probably to the level obviously definitely not at the moment yeah. that Mahrez is now but I just think they need to focus on other positions before there's no point in going out and splashing money on a £100 million striker if the problems that have what well, the, the problems in the team that have stopped you from getting to that next level over the past five six years still haven't been sorted I think United I've, I've spoke to you about it before but United in my opinion from an outsider's perspective I feel bad for United fans because they're just used because mm. these these um, newspapers, the news online news um, just, outlets, just clickbait. Aren't they we? see, yeah, they see an opportunity of United, and what we saw with Sancho every day, writing the same story, just wording way. it differently, nothing changed. What is all this thing nowadays as well with the personal the personal terms are agreed? Agree. Who cares if the personal terms yeah. are agreed? My personal terms are agreed with Barcelona. If I, if Barcelona want me, <laughs> on personal terms, we yeah, that's, we got a mutual agreement. How much? How much are you worth? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but well, my point is, what do personal terms mean? Mm, unless like, a fee's been agreed. Football is so much more than that. Like it's what Sanchez Tarana gone. Yeah, I'd go United. United have gone. Yeah, I'll have I'll have Sancho. That's yeah. it. That's all that's happened. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, but still, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, there's no. Surely, personal terms should come after the fees been agreed and everything else. Yeah, but then again, I suppose it is just a a, a great example of footballers are, are just more powerful now, aren't they, than, than than managers and clubs because they seem to think they can just go behind other teams' backs and just agree a deal with someone else. Thank you for people that did message um, saying what they'd like us to talk about on today's episode. Um, so we got one one reply asking us to talk about Kane's situation at Spurs. Will he go to United? If not, where? I'm not sure. Uh, I think it, uh, there's a good chance he will leave. But then again, I just don't see any club paying the money for him that Levy's going to want for him. With his age and his injury record, no matter how good of a player you are. There's no point in splashing 150 million pounds on someone who's probably going to miss half a season. He just, on average, I'd say he misses three months a season. But I suppose that shows how good he is. He still comes out of about 35 goals. But do you think that's also kind of down to how much Spurs use him and how much he's forced to do yeah, Spurs? He's, he's their best defender. He's their best midfielder, best attacker. Definitely, yeah. He they is. can't afford to rest him. Yeah, they do run him into the ground. But I think if he was, any, I think it, don't you think Solskjaer would probably do the same though? He's not really got the best. Experience of looking managing someone like Bruno Fernandes, he'd play him against some league team on a. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think Man United. In my opinion, I don't think there's any chance of it happening. 
if you, all you got to do is look at United's previous records in the transfer windows. Yeah. And how tight pocketed they are. Yeah. I I do think as well, United fans, you got to try and not get yourself kind of wound up by these and baited by these these news outlets and the Harlands, the Canes, are they really what Man United need? Obviously, no. every team in the world would love to have Harry Kane or Haaland. But at this point in time, and given United's lack of budget and maybe not lack of budget, but lack of want to, to spend a lot of money, would you not prefer to get a CDM in yeah. a more important position? Yeah, I'd definitely prioritise holding midfield and get someone in alongside Maguire. It's a bit more of a permanent sort of f- figure. Obviously, Lindelof's a permanent figure, but I just they are they are improving together and they do keep a lot of clean sheets. But it's still not they're still not the the top top level that you need. Another bit of transfer news. Um, I'm seeing basically apparently Giroud is unlikely to renew his contract at Chelsea, and Chelsea will listen to offers of about forty billion for English striker Tammy Abraham. <laughs> This summer, forty million for a thirty-four-year-old Giroud. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Surely Chelsea are in the market for a striker. Well, you'd think so. Yeah, but do they need to be? That's the thing. They. This is the thing with Werner. You've spent all that money on him, and he's just not producing, is he? And maybe you can give him a pre-season, the start of next season, but then that might be too late. But then if he turns out. To keep missing these massive chances at the start of next season, they've got to have to wait till January to sign one. Yeah, but then again, that Havertz, like you said, that could work as a false nine. But then again, it's probably not something you'd be able to go with against every different style of team that you come up against. Obviously, different structures suit different other different other setups of different clubs. So uh, I think Abraham would be. I think Abraham and Giroud would be good signings. I think for Abraham a lot of teams. would look. I think West Ham could do with Abraham. I think there there was a bit of interest in him, but it's one I'd like to see happen. That yeah, there well, there was a link between Tommy Abraham and Leicester. To be fair, I have always said for a while that we lack a, a striker that is a bit more of a target man. Yeah, but I think now with with the way Inacho has been playing, I really doubt that we'll yeah they're we'll a bit too similar, aren't they? Uh, and it's just Leicester aren't a team that sign players just for the sake of it. No. We sign players that. Are a position that we need I mean you often sign players that aren't that go under the radar by all the other top European clubs yeah exactly I think I yeah Abraham would be out of character signing for mm. Leicester but I think there's a lot of teams that would like him maybe Aston Villa but maybe they, sh- they have got Ollie Watkins now yeah. just thinking he has got previous links with Aston Villa Arsenal maybe possibly it's a very Arsenal signing that yeah take someone's Deadwood from Chelsea yeah <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up there, guys. Um, thanks for listening to episode two of the Divided Opinion podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram, at Divided Opinion, where we post both of us, post match reports, it's just our thoughts on the stories. It's more of a daily kind of content. Mm. Football magazine. Yeah. We like, yeah, we like to, we like to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we really are kind of, we're really open to suggestions in terms of what you want us to talk about what kind of things you want to see on the Instagram account, just let us know. We're we're very new to this. Yeah. Um, We're just enjoying it, aren't we, really? Yeah, just taking it as it comes. These are kind of just the conversations we just have sat around. Yeah, yeah, literally. So we just thought, 
give it to you guys. Yeah, exactly. You might be interested, you might not. Monetize but. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for listening. And again, thanks for the support. You got yeah. anything else you want to say, Wes? No, yeah, just thank yeah, thank you um, for the continual sort of support on the page, comments, like obviously the followers are getting up now and it's we've seen the same faces and we do appreciate you helping us keep getting to that next level. And yeah. obviously the podcast is just the start of another part of our journey as well. 100%. So yeah, thanks very much for and just keep tuning in. Yeah, well put, mate. And thanks to Ari as well. Yeah. The resident producer. Couldn't do it without him. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway though, thank you guys for listening. Yeah. And um yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>